0: Welcome to episode two of Close Up with Radio Magazine. I'm Amelia.
1: And I'm Kaya. And today we're speaking to the wonderful Amy Baxter,
2: of Bad Form fame. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Amy? Yes. Okay. Hi, guys. I Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Amy Mae Baxter. I am the editor-in-chief of Bad Form, a literary review by Black, Asian and racialised community writers. And I'm also an editorial assistant by day at Penguin Michael Joseph.
1: Yeah. Um, bad Form's amazing. It's digital and it's print, isn't it, as well? It
2: is. Yeah. Thank you so much. It means a lot coming from you, especially. <laughs> um, yeah. We do a quarterly print issue and we also post on our website. Site mostly yeah um i
1: interviewed amy for a feature earlier uh, well no last year now and um we learned that you publish four prints a month don't you uh, imagine that four prints a year don't you <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah we only launched in autumn 2019 um so we've done five issues so far which is still crazy to me but so we've done five all together and we've got one coming out in spring which is our first one of the year which is exciting and we theme each one so so far we've done uh young adults we theme by genre so we've done the young adult genre we've done crime we've done romance we've done african history and our next one is on food which is quite exciting as a theme because i love to eat um so, so discussing food and literature is what I'm really, really looking forward to
0: they're really eclectic themes how do you pick them
2: yeah it's a bit weird isn't it um it's it's generally what people you think what people will be interested in writing and reading about Um, so for me I have like a really weirdly long list uh, which includes stuff like sci-fi and fantasy and beauty and um like insta poetry which no one else seems that keen on to do a whole ma- magazine but you know i'll get there one day um but the idea was there's a lot of people who only really want to write about one thing especially like history or romance for example um so we're trying to like get through all the genres so everyone who wants to write for us sort of feels like there is a place where they can do that in print um so we'll see how weird it gets i think the first couple of years will be eclectic but understandable and then we'll run out of themes about 20 in and then it'll get really weird that's what i'm looking forward to
1: i think um your popularity as a platform has shown that something like bad form desperately needs to exist but i know that's something that you wish isn't true
2: yeah yeah totally i mean like my ultimate aim for bad form is that it doesn't need to exist um like our sole purpose is to support Um, black Asian and and non-white authors. Um, I always go back to the statistic that um, in 2016, less than 100 books by British BAME authors were published in the UK out of something like a quarter of a million books which were published. Like that is a crazy statistic. Um, And I know things have changed, but they haven't changed enough to rectify that. Um, So the idea behind bad form is that, well, reviews of the books that do exist don't happen very often. Uh, The mainstream literary reviews, um, the Granters, the London Review of Books, etc. You know, they've done reviews of how many authors of colour they have publicised and and structurally there, it just isn't the support there. So Bad Form is a small way of addressing that by offering like genuine critique and and magazines to show that there is an interest in these books. Um, And
1: I was just wondering, um, what led you to create Bad Form? Was it because you wanted to address was it solely because you wanted to address the um how non representative the publishing industry is or how non representative the literary review world is or does it come from a real love of books i'm guessing it's a bit of both
2: it was a bit of both you know i i really only started researching like literary reviews when i started going I actually only applied for one job in publishing and I happened to get it when I was at uni. I was actually meant to be an accountant, which is a whole other story. Um, but I applied, I know, <laughs> I applied wow. to one publishing job on a whim. Um, yeah, like I was really like set up. I had a job confirmed and stuff. I was like about to sign my contract. Um, and I applied to to this Penguin traineeship on a whim. And I was sort of looking for some books. You have to reference some in your application, like the kind of books you like and I was like, well, like, I'm sure the London Review of Books or the Seahawk Review or something will have, like, a list of, of upcoming books by authors of colour, and, like, no one did. Um, so it was it was both born out of my desire to address that gap, but also, like, my own desire to read bad form. I just assumed it would exist somewhere, and I was really, really shocked, actually, in 2019, when, like, I started floating the ideas to friends and stuff. A lot of them were like, well, surely that already exists. Um so I sort of find it bizarre that no one thought of it first. I'm sure I'll find out at some point that someone did and has been doing it very successfully somewhere else in the world. Um, but yeah, it was, it was you're quite right, a mixture of, <laughs> of selfish and and uh, volunteering need. Yeah.
1: No, I think what you've done is groundbreaking. I think you've definitely created a new space that's needed. And the reason why people feel like it must have already existed is obviously because it needed to, but you've been the one to address the imbalance. So congratulations, we're big fans. Yeah, it's, um, how long have you been going for, Amy, and do you feel like there's been a defining moment that really increased your popularity or your engagement?
2: Um, so we've not been going for that long, um, since our first issue was in autumn 2019, um, but we were really, really small, I'd say, until, well, I think, like most companies, we have quite a specific defining moment, um, ours was the Black Lives Matter movement, um, because there was this huge movement, especially in the UK and in publishing industry, this sort of sudden desire to get involved with bad form and publishing authors of colour, um, especially black authors. And there was a sort of reckoning within the publishing industry where for the first time they were confronted with the fact that they, they didn't have any black authors to push to the front and try to sell to shops because they hadn't bought them for years. Um, so somewhat overnight, we grew by sort of several thousand followers. We had something like 200, 300 followers in January 2020. Um, We had 10,000 across our platforms now, which is not a crazy number, but for us it was... A huge growth and suddenly publishers knew who we were and people started returning our emails um so for us that was a huge <laughs> a huge a huge shift um and it also marked the beginning in the publishing industry of them starting to buy more authors and offer them more publicity so then we were also able to sort of gain off that we started getting interviews and we started getting more proof copies so i don't know like i still struggle with the fact that we well, we haven't monetarily really profited but we you know socially as a, as a group we profited off of what is essentially suffering um and it's hard to to reconcile that um but all i try to tell myself and everyone who works with us that we're we're trying to use this growth that we had then to promote and help um black asian and racialized community authors so i hope ultimately what we're doing with it is good it's not like we've been trying to like steal money or shift a project or a product which isn't ethical um, so, yeah, that was the moment, and i'm still still coming to grips with how much we 've grown in the last year um and how many people want to get involved it's a uh, it's both a nice and a slightly sad thing to think about, I think our growth
1: yeah, it's incredible work and you're only going to keep on growing. I know what you mean. it must be a weird feeling, but um, I think the best thing that came out of the tragedy is that a lot of people woke up and mm-hmm. were forced to reconcile with their own thoughts and if they were doing enough and if they weren't. And by supporting a publication like yours, it means that they're making active change. So um, you've got awful support in that.
0: Definitely. And I think the fact it's grown so exponentially as well was just a of really
2: obvious sign of how needed it is. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. I mean, it sounds silly, but sometimes you do just need like an outside perspective to be like, no, this is useful. This is OK. Um, I was just wondering, um, when you set up Bad Form, did you have a dream interview or feature in
1: mind or have you already uh, succeeded in that? I am blown away by the fact that you've had an in conversation with Ocean Bomb on Bad Form. That is just breathtaking.
2: I'm not going to lie. Okay, it sounds really lame. I'm such a big manifester. So like at the beginning <laughs> of January 2020, I was like, I'm going to manifest an interview with Nikesh Shukla. Lo and behold, I manifest it an interview with Nicka shukla somehow someone had shared something on twitter and he'd ended up following me on twitter and i hadn't even noticed um so i literally i just sent him a dm and i was like please can i interview you um and he said yes and i like spoke to him like on zoom for like a whole hour and he was so nice and so cool and he gave us a quote to put on the back of the magazine and he's just like the nicest guy ever um i absolutely loved his first book especially coconut unlimited um it's set in Harrow, which is, like, near where I grew up. It's about, like, the brown, like, South Asian community. Like, I'm half Indian. That's how... It's sort of the only representation of, like, being a teenage South Asian, like, into, like, music and stuff I'd ever seen. It's how, no, it sounds really lame. I literally have, like, a folder of emails in my um inbox, which is, like, all the important emails I've gotten, which have like which are, like, the Ocean Vuong email, like, the first time an external company messaged us. Like, the first time we sold out, like, the last of a bad form issue on the crime... I've got them all in like a little folder to remind myself when I'm like crying over admin that it's... it's it. um, I'm sure you know how it is. We're
1: kind of just winging it, aren't we? Yeah, really? we're going like, for it. Yeah, we're winging it. We, we did I the limited, it. We did the limited company thing. It feels like a good thing, but we're not really sure what it means.
2: <laughs> we're just kind of riding the wave. Honestly, like, Round of applause for you. I really need to sort out taxes for our limited company stuff. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. That really reminds me. Being an adult is hard. A business is hard. Um, Even if when you're not taking any money from it, a lot of it is tough and not that interesting. But it's worth doing. A lot more admin than I thought it would be.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And another thing we wanted to know is whether or not you've faced any kind of, which would be completely unwarranted, backlash for having a space that doesn't centre white people. Or doesn't allow white
2: people. I think the most backlash we got um, was for a piece which I had commissioned about why um, comparing black skin to food was lazy and not okay. People Mm -hmm. really, really took that terribly, like especially white people. Because the post did quite well. I think it had like a couple thousand likes and a few thousand shares. And it was really, really controversial. Like we were getting comments from people like this is unacceptable. Like I'm xyz race and i'm fine with it like don't listen to these like snowflakes and i found it so fascinating that this was the post that really got people upset like mm, they were that's really so angry. interesting and I just, I just remember this one person who was so angry that i had dared infringe on their rights like and uh, like to describe someone as like chocolate skinned that he was like sending us like really nasty personal messages and i just thought why are you why do you it's just books it's just books Where are Um, they getting the energy from, honestly? Yeah, a lot of people have things to say about it. (laughs) They do,
1: don't they? I think sometimes you'll just be um, forcing them to deal with the fact that they do something that is lazy and offensive and they don't like being told that the things that they do are wrong, but Mm -hmm. it's important work. Yeah, It's really important work. Yeah,
2: well, I I think it's hard, right, is that... With that post, especially, we we were sort of veering into becoming the morality police, which is not really what I wanted. I, I wanted to encourage a discussion based off of this thing I'd read by Bell Hooks about like whether the description was appropriate or not. And it ended up just being taken as and you can't do this and you can do that. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything we post on bad form. I think that's really important. Like people can have different opinions on books and writings and things, Um unless it incites hatred or violence in which case we won't post it um but I always find it fascinating that culture brings up such a strong reaction in someone because they feel like they have the right to express themselves and for that to be heard without Mm. critique um I think it's yeah always fascinating to me what kind of reactions we bring about
1: Mm. yeah definitely
2: I was
0: really interested as well because
2: I want to take notes on this um what's your favorite book of all time I have a couple I won't lie. When I'm feeling, like, sad and I want to go home, it's Pride and Prejudice. Um, when I want to feel smart, it's Feel Free by Zadie Smith. Whenever I feel read that, I feel, like, really smart and cultured and, like, I understand the world again. Um, if I want to cry, then it's probably, probably The Residue Years by Mitchell Jackson. Like, I find that a really, like, beautiful and sad book that's definitely like if you want to cry during lockdown i would really recommend that um and yeah i think those are my favorites at the moment but it does change it changes often i read rebecca by daphne de Maurier recently and i was like this is the greatest literary novel on the planet ever um and then i read another one out for review which is called the mismatch by sarah jafari and i was like this is the greatest <laughs> novel i've ever read of my life so my opinion is often changing, so I'm sorry. That was a terrible answer to your question, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, it depends on the mood, I have to say.
1: No, it's good. Um, have you read Lustre
2: yet? I have not, no, um, but I have a feeling we will be the first place to post a negative review. Um, not a negative one, but I've read the review that we're posting by one of our editors, and she's just not a huge fan, and I think she's very smart. And um, it's a well-argued piece. And yeah, it's a... But that does raise a really interesting question, sorry to digress, about um, a bad form especially. We we have, feel this pressure often to only post positive reviews um, because we've made this space where we're uplifting these authors. Whenever you read a book and you're like, oh, I don't really like that, it becomes this sort of like, are you negatively representing them if you mm. post them? But this luster thing really got me thinking about it um and I think for me we can't be a real literary review and really be doing authors the the service of offering them a literary review if we only write good things about them mm-hmm. um but I think we struggle as a space specifically for these writers um in that you always feel a bit guilty that you're the one place that's meant to be uplifting them and actually you're not always a fan of what these writers say and so obviously you're an editorial
0: assistant for penguin how do you juggle cuz it yes. must be so much work to be doing bad form and your kind of full-time job as well
2: i mean i guess you guys know because you also do something similar in terms of work um but i am such a need to be busy person i've always been like that i need otherwise i just think too much um So I really enjoy having a, I always used to call it an extracurricular, but everyone said that made me sound like a child. But that's sort of how I see it, like an after school club for myself, but bad form. Um, So my job, I'm quite lucky that being an editorial assistant is pretty nine to five, except all the reading I have to do, which I would have been doing anyway. Um, So I'm pretty lucky that when I finish at 5.30 most days, that's it.
1: When we were trying to get you for the podcast, I said to you, when's your day off? Because we'll do it then. You're like, nope, no days off. <laughs> yeah. So you <he's> just working constantly.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I just, I work a pretty standard nine to five um, in that regard. Um, even I'm working from home at the moment. It's like nine thirty to five 30 every day, pretty much. Um, and this time it's just a bit crazy just because we've got a few books, which are going to print soon. So as an assistant, I'm sort of like running around like a headless chicken a bit. Um, But yeah, so I usually do nine to five thirty on job work and then I will do an hour of bad form work and then I will have my dinner and then I will do another hour of bad form and then read something. And that's usually how my day goes. Um, And then I dedicate one day a weekend to bad form work um so that's today (laughs) for me um and I try and do like a nine to five or more more really like a 10 to six on a weekend um on that and that's how I fit it in I tell myself it's because it's for the greater good I'm volunteering but also when I've been locked down for essentially a year it doesn't really feel like that much of a hardship because otherwise all I'd be doing was like binge watching Real Housewives which I (laughs) finished most of now um so, so it's not so bad really Um, I think everyone fills their time but mine is just books really like that's my whole life it's really lame but it's all I do. Penguin House is such a huge institution
0: um and they I noticed they did do an inclusivity statement um how have you found it working there or just working publishing in general
2: have you found that publishing houses are committing to their promises? I should say that I came to Penguin on their diversity and inclusion traineeship, um, which is for BAME and low socioeconomic background people. It's like a six month editorial traineeship. I would really recommend it if people are looking to apply for it next year. Um, So in that respect, like it definitely is making an effort because every year it brings in eight people from these backgrounds to be trained at Penguin. And even having that name on your CV is so incredible when publishing jobs are just so hard to get, like... It's really hard to get an accurate sense of where the book industry is just because the lead times on books vary so much. So, for nonfiction, you can often churn out a book in sort of four to six months, which is why at the end of 2020, sorry if I'm boring you, I just. it's no, interesting. Um, <laughs> there was like this huge um, wave of anti racist books because, really, to write an anti racist book, it doesn't take that long and you can print it in black and white super duper fast. But fiction often has a lead time of like one to two years. So even though all these books were being bought in the same time of sort of March to September last year, we won't really get an accurate picture of what sort of books were bought, especially in fiction, until maybe 2021-ish. And that's when we'll really get to grips with whether they were just buying books about race and family history, which I think is what we've seen reflected so far in 2020 fiction, especially in literary fiction, or whether there was a real push to buy books of all genres and interests by Black, Asian and racialised community writers. Um, Because I really do believe there's a difference. Um, Buying a bunch of books um, by Black authors on anti-racism, though important, is not particularly useful in the long run because commercially there's only so many books one person is going to buy on that topic really they'll probably buy one maybe two and then that's it if you only buy those books at the publishing house you'll never push the diversity agenda forward um so i'd say that there's definitely been huge positive moves i mean we're seeing authors being snapped up left right and center um the issue is is it's a lot harder to get a second book contract than it is a first book contract Um, And if your first book doesn't do so well, because every other publishing house is publishing a family history of South Asians at the same time, then you get a bunch of authors who are therefore seen as not marketable in the future. And actually, that's my long term worry, not the initial boom in 2021-ish. I'm thinking about 2024, um, when those authors who were given a six figure deal to begin with are left without a second book deal
1: with books like i, I think the anti-racism genre is like huge right now and um, which is complicated in its own way obviously renier de lodge was the blueprint with that um but now a lot of
2: influencers are getting the opportunity to write their own and um, how do you do you have an opinion on that it's been something I, I think about quite a lot renier de lodge is a really interesting one because she was only paid like i think 12 grand for that book um i know nothing like she must be rolling in the royalties now um because royalties come once you've earned out your advance so um and that book was already a big book before 2020 it was like a a a waterstones table paperback if that makes sense like it was everywhere you saw it everywhere it was really interesting what you say about this like social media and and books with a buzz about them because it definitely does happen like that um but there are a lot of Books which have a buzz on social media which where that hasn't translated into sales there's been a lot of anti-racist books published especially in the second half of 2020. a lot of them didn't hit more than three four thousand sales like you look at something like Isabel Wilkerson's cast, which you know you sort of see everywhere and it had a lot of, of publicity everywhere and it only sold a few thousand um hardbacks something like four or five thousand um which is really nothing in terms of a, a successful book just so like. I don't want to assume, assume people know this. The volume is quite small to be a really successful hardback. You want to look at six to ten thousand hardbacks, um, like to to only to have that much publicity and only to sell three to four thousand. As some of these um, anti-racist books by influencers are doing, is not good because those publishing houses are not making their money back and therefore will not want to do second books with them. Um, equally, I feel really strongly that most of colour should have the opportunity to write about other stuff that's not just educating white people. Um, and I think that spreads beyond just non-fiction. There's, like, a whole genre of, like, black women's fiction, which is, like, teaching white people how to behave. Um, you look at stuff, like... And it was also just about, like, you know, not great things, like Such a Fun Age, Queenie to some extent. There's some real, you know, questions about who these books are marketed for. Um I really, really struggle with it. Um, And the same is true of family history books. I don't know whether authors of colour feel this pressure to write their family histories into fiction, but I'm seeing it a lot. And a lot of authors I interview said that they did feel this, not pressure, but desire to represent their stories through their fiction. And it does make me sad that there are writers out there who are doing really well at what they're doing, but really they just wanted to write a fantasy book about dragons um set in like eastern india and they haven't had the chance to do that um so it's tough uh (laughs) basically i have a lot of mixed feelings i want people to be successful and if that takes writing an anti-racist book, then so be it but anti-racist books aren't selling and people are still churning them out so that might damage their chance at a second book and it's all just sort of this big confusing mess at the moment
1: we were going to ask you if you have an opinion on uh, a certain certain uh individual dialogue happening mm. um which brings mm-hmm. us back to what we were saying about influencers do you have any input on the whole uh, influencer being given advice but commissions at young ages obviously referring to florence given and sunflower
2: i have opinions about the situation um obviously there's a big issue in this country in our culture about stealing from black women without credit um without money but there's also a question of of who invented Pinterest slogan feminism. Um, I don't think that's particularly new or copyrightable in itself. Yeah, there's an issue. Giving a 21, 23-year-old 100k to write a advice book is never going to go well. I'll admit, I don't know how much she was given in advance, but she'd be silly not to be taking six figures with that sort of following. But I ultimately think that if you're a commercial publisher and you see someone with a a big following who has a clear message that's easily transferable into a book, and it it will make money, like that makes sense as a commercial prospect. I mean, if I'd seen either of those two players without a book deal, I would have seen them and thought, "Hello, I should probably mention this to my editor. That seems like you know they would write brilliant books, both of them." Um, I think ultimately, from a published perspective, it's not about artistic integrity it's about selling books um so if a 15 year old comes up with a way to save the planet then obviously a house is going to give them a book and it's going to become a a sunday times bestseller and they'll sell it in waterstones by the till it it depends on the person right um like zadie smith wrote white teeth when she was at university it it happens at different times to people i i think people get publishing confused with some sort of moral capacity it's not it's, it's just a business that happens to produce things that people love um so maybe I'm a bit more disillusioned about like the moral responsibilities of a publishing house um but I think ultimately no one can invent the wheel but you can treat someone well and you can give them the money they're owed and you can credit ideas where they're meant to be credited um but I think influencers will continue to get books influencers will continue to go towards trends where the money is and i don't think this is a new phenomenon this is a reflection of what's been happening for years i mean katie price is one of the biggest selling authors of the 20- 2000s katie price is in katie price jordan but it's amazing she, she's written tens of books which were huge bestsellers like thousands and thousands of people have bought them she made millions um yeah. should katie price be giving out romance advice? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe yes. And maybe not at that age or point in her life, but she made the money off of it. It was a commercial proposition. What can you do? Um, yeah, basically, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough dilemma. I feel like yeah. I know what you're
0: going to say, but, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people think that, you know, one of the authors should have um, had more accountability over potentially copying work. Other people thought the publishing house should take accountability for You know, perhaps one of them did create uh, more of an influencer blueprint, I I suppose. Um, What do you think? Do
2: you think, where where do you think the accountability lies with it? It's a really interesting question because The Slumflower did create a full colour illustrated book, which is not cheap. And to persuade a publisher to do that, clearly there was some work on her part or their part. I don't know where the idea originated. Um, often a publisher will go to an influencer with an idea for a book. It's not always the other way around. That really happens a lot in non-fiction. Whoever came up with that idea clearly took a risk. The publisher took a risk spending that money on the Slumflowers book. Um, I think, but if if they can't sue to say that this was their idea, then the if the idea is not copyrightable, then, then there lies an issue. If there was a real plagiarism issue, then... Yes, the publisher should be liable and should definitely pay up, and royalties should be moved, and the author who copied and allow- should therefore be liable. Um, but when it comes to like cover designs, for example, I would argue that those covers are not similar in any way, shape, or form. I am literally looking at my bookshelf and the three hundred black books with gold writing I have on them. Like that doesn't make them the same cover. On that front, I think that's something different. But yeah, I think it's a mixed responsibility, but. This is going to sound really bad, but I don't think in particular, unless it can be proved there's direct plagiarism, I haven't read either book, so I can't comment on the contents. Then it's really tough to say that someone owes someone else money. Um, I think The Slumflower is owed some things for the way she has been treated, um, for the way her ideas have been allegedly stolen by her management company. If it was her original idea to do a full colour illustrated book with her publisher, then there's definitely an issue because that was new. Um, but this is all pulling apart the the parts of it. I think it's a lot more of a complex issue than one book was entirely stolen because that would well, I'd like to think that would never have happened and a publisher would never be, have been so stupid. But mm. yeah, it it really depends on what level the copying happened.
1: I feel like Sorry um, to offer
2: not that no interesting no I, I find it. No, it is and, it
1: actually is because a lot of people have been given their well everyone's been given their opinions on this but no one's actually come from it come to it with a perspective like yours which i think is one of the most important perspectives really if you're actually in the the industry um so i think what we're gonna do now (laughs) is spin the wheel spin the wheel we're gonna oh gosh we're gonna put like a bit of a sound effect instead of what we just said so uh yeah take it away (laughs) Mill.
0: So the title is uh, 200 deep questions to ask if you really want to get to know someone. Yeah. So no pressure. Okay.
1: Wheel spin, wheel spin. Spin the wheel. Oh, sorry, yeah. Oh, gosh, she's 74, Amy.
0: 74. What would your best friend say is your best quality?
2: Oh, gosh. She would say, I think, I'd like to think that she would say that I am a doer that if we want to do something i'm going to help you go out and do it you want to start a blog i'll take photos for your blog if you want to start i don't know go to a restaurant i'll come with you to that restaurant like you want to do it i will be there to help you do it um and if i've got an idea equally i will go out and do it no matter how unprepared i am which usually leads to bad consequences but whatever so i'd like to think that's what she would say to me that's a really nice question i really like that oh that was such a nice question i know
1: okay yeah I hope okay. hope
2: punish us now
1: or something.
0: I know. gonna spin it. <gasps> 198. Right
1: near the end there.
0: How do you wish to be remembered?
1: Just a bit of light.
0: Uh, oh, my
2: God.
1: Just a bit of <laughs> podcast in there.
2: <laughs> it's going to send me under this. It's, like, very deep and very emotional. <laughs> How do I wish to be remembered? <laughs> mm. Just making you come through your mortality on yeah. Sunday afternoon. I'm sure it's crossed everyone's mind at some point. I wish to be remembered... As very cool and a promoter of very cool writings, and had a very nice bookshop. That's what I would like to be remembered. I would like people to wander into like a bookshop in a hundred years' time, which is maybe named after me, and there'll be a picture on the wall, and they'll be like, "She is quite hot, and she clearly has a taste in books." That's what I would like to be remembered for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Only that, not too much detail. I would like, you know, like you know, it's the people you know, like too much about from history. I don't want that. I want like a limited, quite hot selfie from maybe when I, I don't know, like when I'm looking really nice, like maybe in a ball gown. That could be like the picture people the <laughs> <bring me> buy. <laughs> and my cool bookshop and cool books I publish.
1: You've now got us to thank because we've got you recorded saying that. So there's no way you're going to be remembered in any other way now because people will just want to do right exactly. By you.
2: You better bookmark the selfie. Yeah, this is like manifesting the session right now. Um, so, yeah, I expect it 100 years time. We'll look back at this and be like, they were all right. That's exactly how she's remembered. She was mysterious and cool and kind of hot. Um, but yeah, that's my spontaneous goal just that
1: yeah if i live longer Um, than you i can see myself strolling into the amy baxter bookshop yeah
2: and be like wow that ball gown is amazing (laughs) that gown thank you yes this is what we want yeah um (laughs) yeah i feel like a wikipedia page and stuff is too much it's too much like, like i couldn't deal with i couldn't deal with fame at all i'd be the worst at it like i'm always really impressed when people have like large followings personally online and things it just horrifies me the thought of people knowing that much about me yeah it's Same. the personal
1: life section on wikipedia isn't it where it like says everyone you've ever like flirted with it's just way <laughs> i have not know yeah, yeah. I, the way i want to be remembered i just know that i want everyone to be severely severely like moved and like <laughs> like crushed by my lot by their loss. I just want everyone to feel like not love them, kind of I just want everyone to cry. And <laughs> I want everyone to give a speech.
0: Throwing themselves in the coffin. Yeah, and
1: I just want people to then start like Oh, you, know- you
2: want like a statue?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like a statue people
2: to go and weep over.
1: And I want, like...
2: And the Kaya Foundation. I want, like,
1: whatever the equivalent will be of, like, cool Tumblr kids to, like, you know, <laughs> post pictures of me and, like, stan me. That's what I want. <laughs> so that, so way it is, that it? Uh, went... See, it. That went from my personal friends being really upset to becoming, like... Famous October, <laughs> yeah. but whatever. How do I <laughs> I've never
0: actually thought about it. I kind of do hope that people really? were worshipping me in a similar way to you.
1: Are we incredibly narcissistic?
0: I think so. I think so, but you know, everyone wants to look good. <laughs>
2: when
1: they're dead <laughs> we love to see it <laughs> we love to see it oh my god right spin that wheel spin the wheel this is so fun 80. Oh, what could
2: come next what's the closest you've ever come to being arrested <laughs> i'm such a goody two-shoes so this these opportunities were were few and far between but last summer running through I fields of wheat went, <laughs> yeah no i um i went to the pub for the first time like post lockdown and everything and everything went back to my head really, really fast. (laughs) And we thought we'd go for a walk on like the local, um, golf course and i was like and then at some point i must have just like sat down and like fallen asleep and (laughs) i woke up to like this old man like yelling at me that he was going to call the police for trespassing on this golf course which people definitely walk on on a regular basis but i literally went home and cried and like called my mom and i was like i'm getting arrested (laughs) and she was like drink some water and calm down no one's arresting you for walking on the golf course um so that i really did feel the fear at that point though it's probably just like the aperol spritzes um (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah, it's probably, like, the closest I've actually gotten. I'm really named. Really that sure was an absolute ride. Um, I wasn't expecting it to go you. that way. Yeah, Apart from, like, maybe some underage house parties, but that's probably as exciting as my life has gotten. I've
1: <laughs> never been close really to, to getting
2: arrested. Um, no. I've, Have you not? I've you said wh- that with too much confidence.
1: Um. But then I'm trying to think about... I think maybe the police chased us once when we got drunk on the park when we were younger. Wow. But what? then again, I think... But then again, I think they might have just crazy. been PCSOs, in which case they had absolutely no powers <laughs> <out there>, So I <laughs> think that might have been more like I think I might have made it cooler in my head. About <laughs> you? I've not been close to being
0: arrested, and feel free to edit this out because it's probably too long an anecdote. But um, basically, <laughs> like on my road, um, <laughs> where is this going? <laughs> it was in, in the news. Um, there was like a massive bang oh, and I, and my dad came into my room and he's like, did you hear that? And I was like, yeah, what was that? <laughs> anyway, one of the neighbours down the road had blown up the house to try and murder, uh, his wife. The whole house blew up. And then maybe what? like half an hour later, uh, the police came round to every single house and we had to be evacuated. And then we were getting into the car, and then the police officer said, is there anyone else in the house? And my dad was, like, making a joke, like, oh, yeah, my uh, my 80-year-old mum's in the loft. <laughs> and then he believed it. Oh and God. then my dad was, like, just joking. And the police officer came back, and he was, like, don't make jokes like that. Oh, I'll have to arrest you. And I was in the back of the car. <laughs> oh, my, like, God. my
1: God. There's absolutely no way that's being edited out. i now. No.
2: That stays in. That was also... Why would someone blow up a whole house to murder someone? That seems like oh, an incredibly was... inconvenient way to... And she lived as well. I was well. about to say,
1: she okay, because that, that's fine then. Yeah, okay, no, sorry, yeah, I was... should
0: have asked that. <laughs> there was, um, the... yeah, she was in a bad <laughs> way after, though.
1: <laughs> she was in a bad place. Oh, yeah. oh bless.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's Nottingham. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: uh, okay, well, that was absolutely lovely thank you so much
2: thank, thank you. you it was lovely thanks so much for having me i yeah. really appreciate it i felt very cool when you messaged and you are on twitter and instagram aren't you yes at amy may reads may spelled m-a-e because my mum wanted to be different and reads as in books um you can also follow bad form at bad form review um on twitter and instagram and the website is just badformreview.com.
1: thank you so much for
2: talking to us we had such an amazing
1: time it's been a great start to the podcast
2: yeah thank you so much for your time thanks so much for having me and i'm really looking forward to listening to the podcast especially the first episode is it just you two for the first one
1: yeah we did an intro up and then it are just diving straight
2: in with you <clears throat> cute exciting i'm really excited to see your following guests and to listen thanks so much for having me thank you thank you, thank you.